go, mighty one, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellberg, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. I'm Jeff Goad, and thank you for tuning in to the Appendix N Book Club with me. Today we're talking about the stories of Silver John with wait, man. Wait, what? Wait, uh, what? Wait, what? Oh, Jeff, Jeff is here? Oh, okay. Hi. Oh, yeah, okay. Julian. All right. Julian, All look right. over here. It's me. Okay. It's Jeff. So, uh, Julian. <clears throat> all right, I'm here. Okay, edit that. So, um, <laughs> continuing our classic adventure series, we pick up with DCC number 80, Intrigue at the Court of Chaos. This adventure has it all plane hopping, cosmic entities, potion puzzles, and well, lots of intrigue. We'll talk about how this adventure came to be with none other than its author, manly Michael Curtis himself. All this and more on this week's Spellburn. I'm Judge Julian, and with me tonight are some randos named Judge Jen. Hello. And a late scratch and then re-substitution in Judge Jeff. Where am I? And all the way from the city of seven score thousand smokes, Judge Michael. Uh, can, can, I be, can I be Judge Jekyll for the show? We did that for somebody, didn't we? I forget. <laughs> At least one or two people. I feel yeah. like Jekylls are something you get removed. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Uh, and, then, and on You're that horrible. note, we are headed straight into the tavern. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give a drink of your most expensive. Tavern talk. All right, here we are in the tavern. Judge Jeff, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So for me, it's been the huge. I've got my weekly old school essentials game, which is I, I very loosely call it old school essentials. Basically, we just roll a d20 to figure out what we're doing. Um, but that's been going great. I think we're on session 16. Um, and at one point it was, I think at session 13, we had 13 character deaths. So we were one, one death per session. And now I think we're on section session 16 and we're still at 13 character deaths. So they've gotten to like second and third level. So they're a lot less squishy. Uh, people are starting to survive a little bit longer. So I have to up my game a little bit and kill a few more of them. (laughs) Um, but I'm also playing in the weekly, Blades Against Bandwidth game uh, run by our dear friend, uh, Judge Brendan LaSalle. And that's also been a blast. I'm playing Forrester Longbranch, the little murder hobbit with the one strength 18 arm. And that's lots of fun. I'm enjoying my little hobbit character. And it's been really fun since Haley Sketch has joined the team. Um, and on our last episode, Haley had her doormate join us. And I am not kidding when I tell you that her doormate's name is Sydney Stab. Oh man. That's awesome. That is her actual name. Wow. So I love Sydney Stab, and my next character is going to be named Sydney Stab in whatever <laughs> I play next. Wow. That's uh yeah, that sounds like the sounds like player a ringer. for a punk band or something. <laughs> I like it. All right, thank you. Um 
hey, I'm going to take it and just say lots and lots of playtesting, getting ready for Bride of CyclopsCon, uh, including uh, my American Survival Guide game that I'm playtesting at RPG Roulette on Saturday night. Um, so I'm getting pretty stoked for that. Been working on it, and uh, as well as did a playtest of a new Stephen Newton adventure that I'm running at Bride. We had a great time, uh, and I also have a special message, publicity, free plug for a new actual play DCC podcast from Ooh. Judge Glenn, the Murphy. Murfreesboro Murder Hobo Old School Gaming Association Uh, the podcast is called Mighty Deeds Um, he said that they by the time, by the end of September they're hoping to have their first seven episodes published for launch, I know they had at least five, so there's a bunch out there and uh, I listened today to the first one and it was a set in Ravenloft, it was a funnel appropriately enough set in Ravenloft and uh, there you go. So uh, go ahead and check that out. I'll link it in the show notes. He mentions it's on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and it's called Mighty Deeds. Uh, so there you go. Uh, give him a uh, give him a listen. And how about you, Judge Jen? Um, let's see. Shutter Mountains game has been on hold for a couple of weeks. Uh, in the past. Since our last recording, we had the War Crawl wrap-up. I don't know if I'm allowed to give any spoilers on air about that. I'll defer to our guest. I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, team Law, dude. Totally. Uh, we, we, uh, <laughs> we managed to forge the Seventh Sword, and uh, we tipped the balance, which was awesome. I, I, the entire experience was amazing, but... Getting to get together with everybody yeah, from all three teams to have kind of the shakedown. We're just like, I don't know. What were you doing? Oh, my God. You did what? It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then this past weekend, I ended up playing a few games at the monthly TTRPG Pickup Con. I played a game of Dark Trails that Eric Young ran. Um, I got to play in the Ziggurat of the Mega Maiden. Oh, nice. Which I could see it being a two-hour game as it's published, yeah, as it's uh, advertised to be. If you did it in person on Roll Twenty, it was probably closer to double that. Hmm. Um, and then uh, Ansel Birch, the the mastermind behind this pickup con, uh, ran the All Out of Bubblegum game uh, since it was with talk like a pirate day or over that weekend it was yo ho ho and all out of bubble gum and it was just as silly as you can imagine from the title it was imagine a game where every single role is either a critical failure or a mighty deed there nice. was no in between nice it, it was yeah probably the most laughter that we've had in a game mm, <laughs> in Past few years, at least. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think this weekend uh, we're doing another playtest with Arimati for his first level adventure. And I get to playtest uh, Hector's upcoming game uh, with Mike Bolum this weekend. Um, and then, of course, there's signups for Bride of Cyclops Con and I know event 
registration is closing soon for Game Hole and the Autumn Revel, so we need to get on that if we're gonna. Oh yeah, yeah, and you might there might even still be spots. I'm running uh, four games at Game Hole Con, couple oh, wow. expedition to Algols, and a couple Tower Out of Times by Mister Manly Michael. Awesome. Which is my first time running that adventure. So uh, really, always, yeah, and I've always wow. kind of, I've always since I read it, I always had the idea to run it, um, and I've just been too lazy and whatever, caught up in other stuff. So this is finally my big uh, moment. Very cool. Well, it's it, a it's a good one. I hope yeah, it goes well. I hope it doesn't go well. I hope it goes. I hope they all die. Like <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's my problem. Um, so, Michael, are you going to tell us, is it, for your tavern talk, you can do the usual, you know, what you did in gaming book report, but I I think you should, that would be, I've been really intrigued by this uh, intrigue at the Court of War Crawl type thing going on here. Can you give your the judges, uh, like, a uh, three-sentence overview of this thing? Um, well, a three-sentence overview of it, it was the most audacious thing I've ever pulled off in, in a <clears throat> many years of, of running games, so... It was a weekly, I ran three sessions a week uh, for three parties. Uh, one was dedicated to law, one was dedicated to chaos, and one was dedicated to neutrality. And uh, they were trying to, they were battling for the fate of the multiverse. Uh, so uh, they were all in the same shared campaign world. Uh, none of them knew what the other group was up, what the other groups were up to. And uh, they only heard kind of reports from the front every week about, you know, what, you know, what other groups, what, you know, kind of what sort of rumors were reporting uh, back to uh, to what was what was happening. So, wow, um, yeah. it was it was not a I don't think there was a there was a boring dungeon in the entire thing, uh, just because I, I knew originally it was going to be. 10 sessions and done. Uh, we ended up doing eight just because I, I had to, I went back to real grown up work uh, after eight sessions. But uh, we, um, everybody was just like, what are we doing next week? I mean, we, we, they went to the moon. Uh, they, we, you know, they, they, uh, they went to the, they went to the God skull. They were in the acid jungles. They were in giant salt flats. There was a, there was a, a space pterodactyl that turned into something for the great space coaster at one point. And, there were undead whale ships and, uh, and submarines on, on, there was a submarine. Yes. We had the yeah, sunken cities. Um, so it was, um, it was, uh, people ask me why I don't think you should uh, use DCC to do a mega dungeon because, um, why go into a dungeon every week when you can take a undead space whale into the Aston jungle and then get on your submarine <laughs> and, uh, and go to, uh, go to where the crashed, uh, the castle, the castle, the crashed flying castle was. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. Well, so. But having said that, that's also a kind of a mega dungeon in itself, right? I mean, no. It's wow. not a giant. It's not a giant cave with a bunch of rooms, but more of a freeform, like huge open world sandbox. Was right. it was it pretty sandboxy, or was it more? Uh... The the players had ultimate agency of what we were doing every week. Um, you know, I threw out rumors, and they said, uh, you know, like, oh, this is interesting. We want to do that, and I said, okay, that's what we're going to do this week. Uh, so, uh, and then, you know, if, if, if it was, if there was something that they wanted to do, that wasn't one of the rumors, that's what we did that week. It was, you know, it was, I, I had no prep to it. There was a couple things I wanted to have, uh, that, you know, I, I threw in there. Uh, but basically it was just like me throwing stuff at the wall and see what people felt like doing. 
Um, so, uh, so that was it. I mean, you know, there was no massive plan. I had no idea how it was going to, how it was going to end. Uh, every group uh, were awarded victory points, depending on what they accomplished, uh, that week. Uh, so you, and, uh, so it was, uh, it was pretty much neck and neck for most of it. Um, and, uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately law won by a single point. Uh, but it wasn't a complete victory because, uh, neutrality managed to, the whole, the whole thing was the, um, the forces of the balance, uh, left the multiverse and without them propping up the, the triad, uh, uh, law and chaos went, you know, hammer and tongs at one another. Uh, but neutrality managed to convince the, you know, the forces of the balance to come back to the multiverse. And uh, they, uh, the party inadvertently turned the multiverse into uh, 5e D&D. Uh, no. So that's, that's basically what happened. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, neutrality, neutrality, unfortunately, had to sacrifice the first human wizard in order to get uh, the balance to come back. So um, humans can't use magic anymore. Mm. Mm. Um, that was just for tieflings and dragonborn. It was it, that was a really depressing ending, though. That's uh, it sounds like a great journey, but uh, it, it was it was awesome though. It, it, yeah. it wasn't so. it wasn't that depressing. Uh, well, no, I, I mean like I'm sure the ending was really fun to play in. I'm just saying the and like now you stop playing DCC and you're you uh, you know anyway. Oh. That, that's okay. Having run having run tenth level DCC, if you run it long enough, it turns into Pathfinder. So uh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> with slightly less map. You just and, have to know when to stop playing DCC. That's it. <laughs> and don't forget all all of that with no map. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, if, which if, made if, it the, really interesting. I I what, really loved having all the different plot hooks that we had the option to follow. No, I you know that's one of the one of the downsides. I would have I would have liked to have done a world map, but uh, you know by the point by the point we were into it, and then it was I didn't want to you know early on I didn't want to you know um, nail myself down in any one corner and everything because literally making up stuff on the fly every week like okay what's going on uh, all right um, but uh, eventually it worked. Yeah, that, that would have been it nice. actually worked really well without a map. But yeah, I mean, the ability is the the party the parties could travel instantaneously uh, to wherever they wanted to go. They every, each group had like their own sort of teleportation device, um, you know, or you know, or or something therein. Hmm. Um, so uh, you know, so the uh, neutrality traveled by the the ley lines, and the uh, uh, the uh, uh, lawfuls had the ether steeds, were basically uh, like a, a hyperspace motorcycle, and uh, and then the chaos they had basically what looked like a like an aboriginal um, bull roarer that they could spin and tear time and space and go through that, hmm. and Jeez. and then uh, and then uh, they only they only got to use it twice, but uh, neutrality actually ended up with the ruby slippers uh, from uh, Blue for the Vibes <laughs> for a while. So yeah, wow, <laughs> amazing. When, when they were when they weren't flying the space pterodactyl, that was. <laughs> so when, what uh, what level were these guys? Uh, it ran from one to four. Hmm. Yeah, because so, we leveled up after Phalon's uh, Well, no, pile. actually, it ran from zero to four because yeah. uh, this all started with a funnel. No. Uh, wow. they, the funnel, the funnel. They didn't choose their alignments uh, for the funnel, and that was the whole point of the funnel. Is that at the end of the funnel, they had to make a choice of what alignment they were on. So, so in case, so for people who ask us occasionally, how long will it take me to get from you know zero to X level? It takes you about eight sessions to get to fourth level in a Michael Curtis game. Yeah, I, because I, I wasn't good. Well, I wasn't going to. No, no, it took takes less than that because I wasn't tracking. Uh, I wasn't tracking experience points. I was using a very the very simple limit is that uh, if you are first level after you finish your first adventure you become second level. If you're second level you do two adventures and you become third uh. level. If you're third level you complete three adventures you become fourth level. Yeah. So that's right. Re- uh, so, I think I was fourth for two games. 
Yeah. The, okay. the original plan, if it had gone 10 sessions at the end of the 10th session, everybody would have been fifth level. So they would. So, and uh, Michael, when you say adventure, does that mean session or does that mean a yeah. adventure that you have completed? No, it was uh, it was by session because I knew that we were going to be doing this online and um, I knew everybody was kind enough to be able to give up their time. It was very um, it was very West Marches. Uh, so every adventure started and ended in like one of the safe spots. So, um, so yeah, so it was a three to four hour session. They going into a session, they know, they knew kind of what they had to accomplish. Um, and then if they wanted to, they could pursue side goals for extra bonus points. Um, but, uh, but it just, you know, it, it, it was truncated in some, in some cases. Uh, so it wasn't quite as organic as you would do if you were, you know, playing constantly with your friends all around the table or anything, but given circumstances and uh, the fact that we had 15 players uh, and it was running three campaigns simultaneously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to make a couple of sacrifices. So <laughs> just to keep myself, so to keep myself sane. <laughs> so you had 20, you did, if my math, uh, you know, I work in it for a financial company, so stay, stick with me here. If I got it right, you did 24 sessions in eight weeks then. Is that uh, about right? No. Well, it was 24 sessions, but then they also ran five funnels. So it was 29 sessions. And then we had a final uh, wrap up of, uh, of after the campaign was over. I actually, we, as Jim was mentoring, I brought all the players into a single Zoom session so they could all talk about what went on. So totally it was 30 sessions over from from the end of April, I believe, until the uh Twelfth, yeah, yeah, to like the first, to like the last week in August, in August, so yeah. May, mm-hmm. June, July, yeah, so four, so four months. Wow, wow. <laughs> is this just for fun, or do you have any? Is there any design to maybe make this a project? No, or? well, I have no plans for this to be published or anything or anything. You know, so this is one of those things that could only be done by me uh, in this format uh, in uh, over online. I'm not saying that we may never see something like this again, uh, but uh, but me th- doing this the way that I did, a single judge running this uh, for over Quentin is not going to happen again. Especially now that I'm working nine to five again, and you know a, a, a you know full time job or anything. The, the reason the reason we the reason it ended after eight sessions is because I had to go back to work, and <laughs> there wasn't a way I wasn't going to work a nine to five, then drive home in traffic for an hour, and then come home and immediately jump online and stay mm-hmm. up for three four hours running everything through. For we had Wednesday nights, Wednesday no no it was Thursday nights, Friday nights, and then Sunday mornings uh, because we had we had we had uh, we had. The Sunday, the Saturday morning was the international group. We had uh, two of the guys from the UK, one of the guys from Spain, the guy from Canada, and then Brendan and I. So it was uh, it was very cosmopolitan that game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And for those curious, the um, with the Michael Curtis system of leveling up, it would take you fifty five sessions to get to level ten. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. bad. Nope. Just That's over a year if you yeah. are religious with playing weekly. Yeah. No. Which is probably the fastest way is to get in a game where you get a, a tenth level pre gen handed to you. I think. Yeah, no, that works <laughs> probably. Too. Yeah, that makes sense. Michael, do you want to? Is there any? What else is going on in the tavern? You got any hot uh, projects? You got anything else you've been doing, reading, playing? Um, I'm well. I, I'm I. I kind of because I because I just got done running Warcrawl, um, I am kind of on a hiatus of of running stuff. But uh, last week I had we had a Zoom meeting with my local gaming group who um, I did not do anything for for the entire summer because I was running the the Warcrawl thing. 
And I was this Sorry, guy. Guys. It's like, I, I can't, I can't do this, you know. So we, uh, we, we had a little get together, and we just said, okay, all right. So now that, now that I'm done, let's figure out what we're going to do next. So we, uh, we talked over some ideas. So next week we're going to have session zero for uh, campaign, which I'm going to be running, which I'm very excited for uh, because it, it is not fantasy. Uh, it's, uh, it, we're actually, it is uh, what I am tentatively calling the swinging Satanist of Soho. Uh, it is a, uh, it, we're going to use the gum system um, we're going to do as so it is a um it is an occult conspiracy game set in 1960s london so uh, wow. so uh, i you know i asked the guys i was like is any are were you guys kind of interested in this would this sound like fun and all and uh, we, we communicate during you know like uh, facebook messenger and stuff like that so uh, i just then i immediately got bombarded with with, with gifts of of, of like the Avengers and the prisoner. And, you know, uh, so like, so needless to say, one, one guy was like, I have been wanting to play in a game like this since college. So, uh, so I think, I think player buy-in is not going to be a problem with this one. So, uh, so we're, huh. uh, so we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a 10 week uh, session of that. And uh, basically I, I gotta, I gotta figure out what, what they're playing. And then I gotta figure out, you know, how, what's it, what's it going to be, but I'm looking forward to it because um it, it's it's totally new territory for me, so it means I get to do a lot of research. So I'm very happy about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So yeah, that should be fun. Well, I know Pelgrim goes really deep in. I mean, you're not really using one of their source books, but they they're kind of known for doing like big deep period stuff, like 1890s Paris and uh, yeah. you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So this is this is interesting. So you know, I I, I mean. Um, I, I, I have their fall of Delta Green, which is 1960s, but that's mostly America. So, uh, but mm-hmm. so I'm going to have to like riff stuff from that a little bit. And uh, luckily, I also have their book Hounds of London, and um, you know, and I've been watching a lot of uh, British horror. So we're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if if you were going to run this game at home, uh, I advise you immediately to go out and of course watch the classic. Dracula AD 1972. Oh yeah, uh, so good. Which uh, the only way that could have entered is Chris, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee got out of the church, and we saw him like you know you know strutting down Chelsea, being Christopher Lee, you know amongst you know in swinging London. Um, but you know you get what you get. <laughs> is there going to be a moratorium right away on uh, Austin Powers jokes? I see that that was I, the question was like, would you guys be interested in playing this? And then I immediately followed up, even if you can't do Austin Power references the entire game. Yeah. So, uh, so they sounded they, they, like, this this group was pretty hip though. So I, I'm gonna I'm sure I'm gonna be getting a lot more like you know Emma Peel references and uh, you know uh, Alfie and Bedazzled and you know like all of those great '60s uh, you know '60s swinging London movies. Yeah. Um, so. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm, I'm just waiting. Like one of I like, I'm going to like after character creation, I'm gonna, like, okay, you're, jo- I, I gave him homework. I was like, okay, you guys have to watch one of the movies or television shows from the sixties, you know, the, the swinging sixties London, just to get in the mindset. And then I, and then when we're done, I'm like, okay, guys, send me a, send me the picture, send me a photo of your character. And just, you know, I just, them going trolling online, finding a great 1960s, you know, representation of the character is going to be awesome. So. Love it. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, but it will be a nice change of pace from uh, from uh, doing you know uh, nine hours of gaming every week. It was basically basically Warcrawl was like doing a convention doing a convention every week. Uh, so uh, so I can <laughs> I'm good for a little while. <laughs> well, I, I know that uh, all fifteen of us or sixteen really uh, appreciated the hell out of it. So well, that good. was awesome. I, I will you. I will recommend the blow up if you haven't seen that or your players haven't seen that. That is, that is definitely on the list. That is awesome. 
I have, um, yeah, I, Love you just incredible. You just, <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to doing that. And, uh, and it just, I, I have discovered some, I have discovered some Spotify. I have discovered it's the greatest thing ever. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> build your, build your kinks, uh, who, uh, early Pink Floyd playlist and, uh, all that good stuff. I'm, I'm excited for the campaign because not since the nineties uh, have I been tempted to, you know, uh, put together a, a, a playlist uh, for a RPG campaign, which is, you know, uh, which we used to do for the, like the vampire campaigns and stuff like that. So, but, but a 1960s London one, you know, the, the options are, are incredible. So you'll have to share your link when you get it put together. <laughs> Actually, I would love to hear, have you run uh, gumshoe before Michael? Uh, we have done, we did, we got like halfway through the intro, uh, intro adventure in Trail of Cthulhu. And, mm. uh, and I, I've been eager to go back to it because it's very much kind of where my sensibilities are these days. Uh, I, I, if I'm very happy not to say the words roll for initiative. Uh, so, and, uh, and basically gumshoe is pretty much like the player's role for everything, which makes me very happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, cool. Uh, it, it actually, they roll for everything when you need to roll, and there's a lot of not rolling at all. So, yeah, no, I'll be I'll be very curious uh, to catch up with you uh, maybe in uh, you know a few months, and we'll hear how that has been going down. Okay. Well, perfect. I think it's time for us to step over to the mailbag, which we decreased a lot in our last episode, but we still got a pretty good pile here. I call upon the flame to suck. Who will deliver the message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. All right. Our first one here comes from Judge Edward. He says, hello, judges. Love the podcast. I am currently judging and playing in two DCC campaigns, and we're using Roll20. While the first session or two is inevitably a bit awkward and bumbly, we've hit our groove, and I found a few ways the Roll20 can actually speed up gameplay and smooth out some of the rough edges of tabletop gaming. For both games, I've only used the free tools. First and foremost is rolling. While something tangible is absolutely lost in not being able to roll physical dice, there are a few neat features that help us take the sting out. Roll20 lets you play with DCC class pages, and they have nifty dice rolling buttons for just about everything. Luck, thief luck dice rolls, uh, warrior deeds, fumble dice, etc. Um, I also can't recommend macros enough. I'm playing a warrior, which means separate rolls for each attack. And, oh yeah, there's a lot of complicated stuff there. Um, I'll be happy to share this with anyone who writes in and and wants the specifics, but holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He says they're slightly complicated, and after about 15 to 30 minutes of tinkering and looking at guides online, you can do some very handy and useful things with them. I am still working with the interface. Uh, I do have a question, though. I want to introduce fleeting luck to my campaign, but I haven't thought of a good way to give my players physical representations like a poker chip so they remember to use them. Any thoughts on how to do that over Roll20? Thanks. Well, Judge Edward, we have somebody who might have an answer to that for you. Yes, I do. First of all, Roll20 has the greatest die rolling system ever, uh, especially if you're the judge. Uh, It is... (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. 
there, there was one fight during war crawl where I literally got six criticals in one fight. So, uh, so it's it the, the same it person. The, the yeah. greatest die rolling system ever for a judge. So nice. We, we learned that we learned, we, we were like looking at it. Oh, I've never seen that result on the critical hit table before. That's it. <laughs> we were wow. slowly working our way through it. Um, Crit table. So. What D no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So heads up on that. Um, but the, the real question though is, is there a mechanism for using fleeting luck in roll 20? And yes, there is. Uh, in fact, if you search the, I believe it's on the Goodman games website. And, uh, if you search, for fleeting luck roll twenty, you will find a document uh, that I put together, which explains how to make a uh, a fleeting luck deck, uh, a deck of cards. Which instead of using poker chips, you can deal the deck out to the other players, which is a great way of seeing you know who has it and you know who doesn't. And it even has a function where you can you know you know uh, draw all the you know uh, uh, collect all the cards with a single you know I think button click. Uh, so if somebody rolls one, you can just one action and it's all back to it. So, uh, so yeah, so I don't have a link to it offhand, but I know they posted it on the Goodman Games website as one of the updates for one of the, one of the daily updates. So if you do a search there, you can probably find it. Were you, uh, were you doing Fleeting Luck for Warcrawl? Uh, no. Got it. Well, I'm glad we had you on this show because I, I don't know that the three of us would have been able to answer that question that well. That's, uh, that's great. So we'll link it. We'll find the doc and we'll link that in the show notes. Yes, almost almost as if somebody, somebody, somebody saw the writing on the wall after this whole, you know, you know, coronavirus thing hit and said, hmm, there's got to be a way to have poker chips or something in roll, roll 20. Maybe somebody should look out and figure out how that does. So well, yeah. That person was me, which, which basically was me. was like, okay, how does Savage, how does Savage Worlds do bennies? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, I can steal all of this and just change Benny into Fleeting Luck. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> nice. So, I wish I could say it was a genius, uh, but uh, I was just like, oh, okay, other games use this. So, that, that's how you do it. You're not supposed to tell us the part, the very last part, Michael. This, the, up to yeah, the, right? Keep some mystery. <laughs> I, I, am, I have no ego when it comes to anything that I do. So, because, uh, you know. Because when when you're this awesome, you don't need an ego. So you know, you can, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, uh, Mr. Jeff, uh, who's not here, would you like to uh, you would you like to honor us with a mail with a snail mail? Julian, I'm here. I'm right oh, here, wait. Julian. Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> and I would love to. I see we have a message here from Craig, and I will happily read Craig's email in just a moment. But first, I've got a question for you guys. What? <laughs> this is something that came up in a game recently, and I'll give you guys the story afterwards. But oh, my God. question is, can NPC wizards spell burn? Of course. No. You Jeff, you're not even here tonight. You don't get to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, Mike Curtis says, of course they can. Yeah. And I, I say hard, hard no. And Julian says hard no. Jen? If you have the stats drafted up already, i.e. from Isle of Dagon, why not? Uh, don't even bother with stats. Just give them a spell, bowl, spell burn pool. Yeah, I mean, if, if well, you... Well, I mean, stats, the stats would include, like, uh, the number of stats that you can burn down, as well as luck. So, here's the context. Sure. So, when we were playing in Blades Against Bandwidth, Brendan had one of his NPC wizards spell burn. And I was like, wait, what? A wizard, can, your, your, your NPC wizard spell burning? He's like, yeah. And what's funny is it never occurred to me that a judge would do that. 
And it never occurred to him that a judge wouldn't do that. So uh, we thought it would be a fun question to bring to the group. From my perspective, I'm like, um, luck scores, spell burn, mighty deeds, and luck dies are for player characters, in my mind. Ah, screw um, that, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Wait a second. Um, clearly, Wait a second. You, clearly you've never read the uh, the making of the ghost ring, which actually right. includes mighty deeds for NPCs. Yeah. You're the judge. Uh, you, you use whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I, half the time, I don't even roll for spell tables anymore. I, I, I just I put a list. Like okay, uh, you know, like because I, I don't I don't have time for that. So I'll write down. Okay, this is they have uh, they get these six rolls. And they use them in this order. Like, okay, the first spell they cast is a 16. The next spell they cast is a 12. The next spell they cast is a 21, you know. And, uh, you know, so this, you know, I mean, why why sit there and, you know, worry about civil stuff like that? You know? And see, I knew that this would be a great topic of conversation. Because if Brendan and I were, like, so polarized, but, like, shocked the other person even thought the other way, <laughs> that I'm like, I'm like this, this has to be a juicy conversation. And, Julian, you said hard no to spell, to, to NPC wizard spell burning. How do you feel about NPCs having mighty deeds or luck dies? Uh, Is that also a hard no? Yeah, for me, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, but let me. I, when when Mike says you could give him a, just a one kind of big sack of spellburn, I mean, I wouldn't do it for every wizard in every adventure. But would I would I be offended if somebody did it once in one adventure? I mean, you, every every wizard you meet in DCC should be different. So mm-hmm. I would say generally I wouldn't mess around with it or expect people to mess around with it. But if one guy could because he was the spellburniest spellburn wizard of all, I mean, I don't. That's also fine. But you know, I mean, I don't even. Uh, Mr. Doug Kovacs has, you, you know, has told me with the voice of God that, in fact, spells for NPCs and monsters don't work the way they work for player characters at all. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you can do it if it's fun and if it makes sense. There's nothing, there's no real, there's not a real rule against doing it. Yeah. But but why would you want to figure out their stats and blah, blah, blah and go through all that? I mean, exactly. you know, yeah. Eh, yeah. you know. It's more like, but you know, if you if you were like this one boss wizard does have a pool of twenty points that he can, you know, okay, that could be fun for one adventure. Right. And for the record, I'm not trying to find out who's right, Jeff or Brendan. And I wasn't offended. I mean, I'm a firm believer that in Dungeon Crawl Classics, it's all whatever. It's the judge's interpretation, and if that's Brendan's interpretation, awesome. And I'm still thrilled to be in a game that he's running. That's just not the way that I would run it. Right. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. I'll spell duel you as well as the judge. <laughs> oh, well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, spell dueling, if, it's, it's, it's implied that that happens between PCs and NPCs. Yeah, but the NPCs will jump in on you if Good. I'm playing them. <laughs> but now I feel <laughs> With like... spellburn. <laughs> I should probably actually figure out what Craig wants to know. So, Craig... <laughs> Can wizards can NBC wizards spell burn? That's great. Yeah, right? Right? You have to learn to read the read the email before we actually get to the actual part. That's now, I, I do want. Nice. I do. I do. I have to just bring this up, though. Uh, I do have to bring this up. Sorry, um, Craig. Sorry. Uh, we'll get there. I, I tried to get to your uh, your email. Julian won't let us, but no. I'm gonna. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. I'm gonna defer. I'm gonna defer it to to later. But there is a. This does actually play directly into court. Of, uh, the Court of Chaos. So oh. we'll talk about it later ah. in our Mighty Deeds. So go All ahead. Right. So Craig says, having played D&D in the 70s, I picked up the hobby again last year. Yes, I'm that old. So far, I've played Old School Essentials, Astonishing Swordsman, Cyberpunk, Mothership, Savage Worlds Rifts, 
Barbarians of Lemuria, and now I'm starting DCC. My question is, what would you have liked to have known about DCC at the beginning that you know now? Thanks for the podcast and keep up the good work, Craig. Uh, apparently, NPC wizards can spell burn. That was uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, don't prep as much as you think you have to, because the players are going to turn south on you anyway. Uh, have a couple of things in mind, but don't don't try to railroad them and say this is your only option because it's DCC. It's supposed to be a little bit more out there and weird. The thing that I would say to Jeff, who was first going through the DCC core book, um, is, you know, if it says one thing on page 27 and something else on page 213, you don't need to go to the forums and ask anybody. Like, (laughs) it's fine. Like, calm down. I want my money back. <laughs> I wasn't doing that, but I was just like, guys, I don't get it. It says this here and it says this thing here. And I'm like, okay, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the errata? Where's the errata? <laughs> it, it is it is very zen. You just, you, know, you, just, you must just, you just, it's like, it's the Tao. You must go with the way. That's it. You know, that's it. Hmm. Exactly. DCC is a thought exercise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. I'm going to just dive in and answer this question. Uh, my answer is two things. I would have loved to have read the part about divine aid much more carefully than I originally did because it's so amazing a thing. Um, and then the second thing would be just generally that uh, people have this idea that DCC is super crazy deadly and stuff like that. And it's, it's really not true after you do a funnel, you know, and especially not true after first level. So I, I think people have kind of a mistaken impression, and uh, I wish I would have. I kind of knew it early on, but I didn't. I didn't feel like I'd proved it out, and I wish I, I was always like, "Oh, you know, that's not true." When I heard people speculate that, oh, I was right. So okay, crickets. Let's go. Um, any, any other? Uh, any other answers? Well, I, would you would you like to know my opinion? Is that what? Well, what did what did? Yeah, I know. What would you have liked to know about DCC at the oh, beginning that you know now? Well, it's, not, it's not so much what I would like to know is is more what I would like everybody to know uh, coming into DCC is that DCC is not Dungeons and Dragons, so don't try to play Dungeons and Dragons with DCC because that seems to be the biggest thing. It's like, well, you know, but this is not, no, 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 no. If you want to play D- Dungeons and Dragons, there's a game called Dungeons and Dragons. Go play that. You're playing DCC. Forget everything. The very first, you know, very first thing is like, forget all that has come before you, you know. So this is this is DCC. Don't try to, if, if this, is, this is why I'm very anti-Mega Dungeon with DCC. If you want to play Mega Dungeon, D&D game, get you out your BX set, which is, has rules for kicking in doors, it has rules for wandering monsters, has all that great dungeons and stuff. DCC, as we're going to get into, there's no reason why level one, you can't go to the plane of chaos and have fun there. You know, I mean, it's it's really, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, it, it, go with it. Play DCC. Don't play, don't try to make DCC into D&D, because uh, you're just, it's just, it's not worth it. No. All right. Did we? Did everybody answer this question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I think. Good we, morning, Julian. Well, I I wasn't checking down the list here, but and plus I'm still I'm still my head's turning from people inserting their own non emails, people who are not here <laughs> inserting their own non emails into things. Okay. 
Uh, it's time to head over <laughs> to Mighty Deeds. Let the combat begin! Why behold our hero? Huh. So you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this. Mighty Deeds. All right. So as I promised or threatened earlier, we're going to go deep down into Intrigue at the Court of Chaos, DCC number 80, with our guest, Michael Curtis. Uh, and here is my obligatory uh, spoiler alert. It should be kind of obvious, but in case it's not... We're going to talk about the adventure in great detail. We might read a part or talk about a plot point and so forth. So if this disturbs you in any way or you'd like to keep your mind pure to run this or play this in the future in a, in a uh, unsullied way, then uh, you may not want to listen to the rest. Of it. You, you do not want to listen to the rest of the episode, so you have been warned. Um, so enough of that. Um, so... I'm going to just give a really quick uh, kind of context just to frame this adventure, and then um, and then we'll start in on the adventure. But, uh, you know, Intrigue at the Court of Chaos, as Michael already alluded a little bit, um, you know, our hardy first-level adventurers, uh, a group of about six, I think, per the uh, directions in the beginning, or introduction, I should say, you know, uh, go to a puppet show and are sucked through the puppet show into the Court of Chaos, a roiling sea of blood and chaos, where they're confronted by, uh, is it s- uh, five or six of the host of chaos? Uh, I think I've it's f- five. Five. And, yeah, uh, you, you can't have an even number of chaos. Oh, yeah, that, that makes, yeah, that, <laughs> that's good. That makes sense. So they, uh, they are told, uh, first of all, they're, you know, they're told we have a big task for you. Then they, uh, are given a respite, uh, and a, a hot meal. And they are, uh, each one of them is negotiated with by an agent of chaos or neutrality or law to, uh, to when they find the token that they're going to be seeking to actually hand it over to them. Each player individually is uh, sort of seduced slash negotiated with uh, one-on-one by an NPC to, um, you know, see if they can bring them over and get them to promise to give the uh, MacGuffin over to them, which is the, the yolkless egg. So uh, after this is done, regardless of the players agree or not, you know, some combination of which, um, and, and uh, I should say it's by alignment, right? So the chaos people mostly try to negotiate with the chaos people. There's one neutrality guy, and then there's a, a lawful spy in the court. But anyway, then they go on the adventure and uh, go seek the oakless egg. And uh, and then at that point, at the end, they you know theoretically capture the egg and then are put in the position of uh, somebody has to hand the egg over to somebody at the end, which is why I love this adventure. Maybe. Maybe, which which even that may not occur. So um, anyway, but I which I also love. So anyway, I, I I love PvP and crazy things happening at the end of adventures. So I, I I'm very drawn to it for that reason. Um, so I mean that's a really rough overview and help you understand if you've never read it. Uh, just give you a little bit of context. Anything? Uh, any anybody want to add anything big I missed there? Um, I would say that. This is probably the first major foray into uh, alignment-based play that we get from DCC RPG. Um, and there's also a nice little tidbit in toward the introduction of the court where you know, 
being inexperienced little newbies that you are, uh, why aren't we doing this ourselves? Because you're the ones that are going to be beneath the notice of anybody looking at, you know, mm. trying to guard this this egg. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what other? So the only one that pops in my mind as a big alignment focused adventure right offhand is Death by Nexus. Um, which is a really odd one, right? That the old tournament one where there's mm-hmm. three teams um, mm-hmm. and they kind of fight each other in that sort of funnelish way. Is there? Is uh, there the another? balance blade is a yeah, real short yeah, I was, one. I was going to say the balance blade. That was uh, yeah. That mm. it, it, it plays a role in it. I, I don't know if it's quite as upfront as say this or you know death by no, Nexus, but but, no, the, but it's definitely it, it, the importance of, of neutrality and stuff. So mm-hmm. okay. At this point, so I always thought this was one of the earliest DCC adventures, but when I started actually doing my homework, which helps because I often wrong, don't tell anybody, I found that that there were already five DCC RPG Michael Curtis adventures out there. Now, I don't know if it was published in order. Maybe it was written earlier and then published later, but... um, so I was just curious because it was still kind of the early days of DCC, relatively speaking. But uh, you know, was it was it? Did you have five under your belt at that point, and you had already learned some stuff and were taking that in, or uh, you know, where were you at that point? I I honestly can't be for certain whether there were what order, like if if they were published out of order at all, because this was uh, what 2014 or something, you know, 2013, something like that. Thirteen so, yeah. So it's a it's a little hazy. But you have to remember this was this was DCC eighty. So the uh, was it the first the first DCC adventure was what sixty five point. yeah. So technically there there were like 13 and a half adventures before we came to this. So in some ways it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like right brand spanking new, like DCC was completely new at that point. You know, they they already had the the five adventures that basically uh, Joe and and Harley had written, you know, like all the the original, you know, uh, you know, uh, know, sailors and balance play and then all the, you know, all the rest of that stuff. So, um, so, but this was the first, this was the first one, um, that Joe was like, okay, we want, I want to show that you don't have to wait until you're like umpteenth level in order to start, you know, interacting with like, you know, gods and demons and all the rest of that stuff. So, so in some, in some ways, this was like the prototype for that. So, so that was, it was very new in that sense that you no, know, there's something that hadn't really been covered by DCC previously. Um, this was, uh, so this, so if if this was the fourth or fifth one that I had written, this was uh, so it would have been like a miracle and sea queen, which are you know which are there's pretty much standard like most of the things that come forward were kind of standard dungeon crawls, and this was the first one which I specifically wanted to do something which wasn't just a you know uh, first encounter go open door of dungeon go in there and you know encounter interesting things and kill them uh so i wanted to do especially something if we're going to be dealing with you know the host of chaos you can't really do that i mean (laughs) yeah uh, right so we had to find a different way to kind of approach that so uh so that was that's how we kind of came into this um this was this was the result of a lot of live action role playing in the nineties. That's basically where this adventure came from because 
I got really good in doing doing like 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 uh, vampire live action games and stuff like that. There's a lot of social interaction with those. It's not you know not like boffer combat. So I got really good in designing. Like I ran a bunch of those, and uh, and I, the way we ran them back in the day, we didn't run them like the way you run like you know campaigns. It wasn't like you know everybody rolled up rolled up like made up characters and then played. It was a lot more like you know how to host a murder mystery. So like we actually because like half the group we played with were not gamers. They were all like, you know, theater majors in the local community college and musicians yep. and stuff like that. <laughs> so. So, yeah. So like we had so we had to accommodate for people who had no real interest in like learning the rules other than how to play rock, paper, scissor. So I got really good on how to build like relationship maps and like, you know, how to how to build plot lines where you could have actually people who are um, like. Uh, com- you know, competing for a goal, but you know you have to you have to have a four hour game session. You can't have just something where you have okay, you hate you, you hate you, and then like fifteen minutes of the game, they rock paper scissors, or they get in a big fight, and you know, and then they're well, one of them is out for the rest of the night. So you had to build something interesting that you know would build tension and a lot of like, can I trust you? What's going on here? What's you know? Um, so a lot of that. This was basically all of that skill that i learned doing that into a standard dungeon crawl uh, God, now that you mention it that to- you're totally right it it drove it all back home oh crap yeah yeah <laughs> no and, and we and i should mention that, that the way you just you know you describe doing it in, in the adventure is you're like gm or excuse me judge take the you know take the player off the table take them out to a little quiet room separated out of sight and then have that discussion with them so that one by one everybody's having a private thing and then coming back and and nobody knows what anybody agreed to because everybody got negotiated with probably although maybe one person even didn't but you know everybody basically knows whether only whether they said yes or no and of course, you can't really believe somebody if they tell you they said yes or no, right? So you're like, um, particularly if they said no, right? So, you, so there is a uh, it does build that tension by way of, by that simple trick, which has nothing to do with DCC rules or anything, right? It's yeah. uh, just a uh, yeah, just it's, like it's, you say, it's 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 a meta gaming, but it's meta gaming with a purpose. I mean, you know, you're because yeah. you, you know what, more than what's going on on the table. And you're like, okay, all right. Uh, unless you're that poor, the poor person who got, you know, I, I, I think I put it in this one, like one person, if like, if you want to be really cruel, you drag one person. Oh, Hey, how you doing? You know, are, you want to, you want to go to the, you want to go check out the, at the game this Thursday? You know, let's, let's, let's go, let's go bowling. Okay. Let's go back in there. And you're like, wait a minute. Why, why, why? You know, like, wait. And everybody's like, well, he didn't get cut in the deal, but nobody knows that. Even the guy who wait, like what's everybody else? Wait, something's going on here. So, um, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> As it so. should be. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud of this. You know, I, I've always said from the very beginning that this is this adventure, which is either going to make your, your, your gaming group, like the most tight knitted group uh, you've ever run into, <laughs> or you will totally, you know, bring your campaign to a screeching halt as everybody gets mad at each other and refuses to play with one another ever again. But, uh, but, you know, Hey, <laughs> a, there, I, I, there's a warning. At the, there's a warning on the label. So, you know, <laughs> so did you, did you guys have, now you were telling uh, how Joseph, uh, was saying, um, you know, hey, let's do something that goes cosmic from first level, which uh, which makes a lot of sense, and is and has a good appendix in the E feel. Was it? Did you have any, or did he have any d- more direct kind of appendix in type inspiration? I mean, I was thinking kind of obviously of Moorcock, but it doesn't really exactly have a Moorcock 
feel to me. You know, it's been a long time since I read a lot of Morcock, so I may just be. Yeah, no, I mean, the uh, it, it's this is not, I mean, if you, there's a nod toward, there's a very slight nod toward the Elric stories just because we have the host of chaos here and, you know, but it's literally, you know, it was not intended to be like, you know, like this is solid, more cocky and, you know, Elric action or, you know, anything like that. Um, so this, this wasn't one that was really rooted in like Appendix N, uh, but it was, it was more rooted in DCC. Uh, at least the, you know, the, um, the, the thought that you don't have to wait till you're high level in order to, you know, have these world spanning adventures. So it's, it's, it's a DCC adventure because of that, not because it was like, you know, drawing a lot of inspiration from a specific author or anything. Cool. I was, I, I was also struck by how it's really, um, it has, it seemed to me that it had elements of a fairy tale, like in a really different way from your typical dungeon crawl, obviously. Like you, so to give some context here for listeners, I mean, as we said, they they got to go seek the oakless eggs. So the host of chaos does this negotiation one on one privately and so on, and they send them to the plane of law, and they're in. The, they have to enter this giant floating diamond, uh, and to get back, they have to find and, and pull this rotting rose flower. And uh, there's a yokeless egg, which is kind of a, which is a, you know, just has that sort of <laughs> almost Lewis Carroll feel or, or fantastical elements. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, but also whimsical more than just you know, the usual, <laughs> That's like the word, yeah. somebody dripping with blood, you know, uh, with three eyes and covered with sores, you know, like it's more, you know, and, and the talking bull, you know, the first guardian they run into is a talking animal, you know, and it, I, it was pretty, when the first time I read it, I was like, wow, this is really kind of different and uh, it was a little jarring but um the second time i read it especially i thought well i lo- i like how it's incorporating that more you know kind of uh folklorish kind of feel um which i you know i can't even think of a lot of appendix n that does that right off hand unless you go to like uh uh what's his name dunsany or something right. um were you it's, thinking of that like in a direct way, or did it just uh, sort of happen because you were thinking of these sort of platonic constructs of law and stuff? So the um, if if it owes a debt to if it feels fairy taleish, uh, that is because I mean literally the roots like one of the two roots of any sort of modern fairy uh, mo- any sort of modern fiction is is the fairy tale. So there, I mean there's there, the, that 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 runs through everything. So you can't really you can't really escape that. But this was more I wasn't specifically trying to do a fairy tale uh, story like per se. I was just trying to do something that felt otherworldly. Uh, so I mean, so that literally you're getting the the like the fairy aspect of you know as if not Earth of you know otherworldly of alien. So I could see I could see that. Um, mm. But it wasn't like I was trying to specifically try to mimic any sort of, you know, any sort of fairy tale type structure or anything. You know, I was just trying to do something that really felt like it was, you know, a DCC and B, you know, not just, you know, just not just a dungeon down the down the block or something. Well, now speaking of the imagery that that you're getting with those whimsical elements, um, it brings me to mind of, of the cover and and this this first cover with the artwork by Doug. It, I mean, everyone, especially when it was first revealed, it was amazing. And I mean, it still is the the color scheme and and everything and and the application, just the whole composition of it is unlike most role playing modules that we'll see. Uh, 
how, Mike, I'm really curious about your take. How would, how do you feel that uh, the second printing with that Russ Nicholson art, uh, does that almost uh, embody the, the deities more than say on the original cover or, or, you know, what, what inspiration did that one take? Because it's got all of the, the tiny little squigglies to it, composing these giant 30-foot-tall uh, beings of chaos. Um, well, see, all right, so I, I love Doug's cover. Um, there are so many things on Doug's cover that I don't even know if you can, you know, I, don't, I think there, there, I think there's a, there's, I don't know if, if, you've, if you've seen the original print, I think there's a rocket ship um, which actually got covered up by like the uh, the DC the Dungeon Crawl Classics logo. I don't think you'd see it. I think there's also <laughs> there's also like one of the characters. I think I think he's there's one guy with three arms and he's smoking a cigarette. And I think Doug put that in there because that that was I wrote this when I was still smoking, so that was, that might have been a nod to my nicotine habit. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I mean I just I loved I just you know like. The, for the amount of brown which is used on the cover, uh, Doug just did an incredible job of his, the color palette he used on that. I mean, when you don't think you, you don't think like you don't think brown when you think Host of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so so I. But he, I mean, he did a tremendous job. I love Doug's cover on that. I'm just that like I saw that it just totally blew my mind. Um, I also, however, I also love uh, I also love the um, the 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 reprint cover uh, just because I mean. I, I, the the color palette is just as, is 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 even crazier, but as somebody who grew up uh, with the uh, like the Fiend Folio and with the uh, Fighting Fantasy novels, the j- just to have a cover that was you know actually done by Russ Nicholson was uh, one of the highlights for me personally. Uh, I you know I, I just love having Russ was you know yeah he got to do one of my covers. So, uh, for, so if I had, any, so if there was anybody who had to do like a reprint, you know, if, if, if I could, cho- if, I, if I said, okay, I can't have Doug's cover, I have to have somebody else do that one. Um, you know, I've already had, I, at this point, I already had Errol do the cover to the Dungeon Alphabet. So I already had that checked <laughs> off my list. So getting Russ, uh, getting Russ Nicholson to do this one was, you know, that, that was hey, I, I, gra- I will gladly take that as well. Um, so. That, and speaking uh, of the reprint, do you know if there was any additional content added to it? Yeah, there um, was. Yeah, it was. Um, so, sorry, I mean, no, you, you, besides you, the small, uh, the short adventure that was added to it in the back. Oh, um, oh, oh, no! There's no. There was no additional content to the adventure itself. Uh, due to okay. yeah, uh, that's that's the same. But you know the but the but uh, this this was during that period when uh, when uh, Joe was Joe was trying out all different like inspired by comic book formats. So there was a brief period where we had like backstory, like you know like B stories on top of like the modules and stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> the so, B sides. Uh, yeah, so so that was that. This was one of those that was published during that. This that's kind of fallen by the low, the wayside now. Uh, now he's in the now he's into the the uh, the old uh, dual novel thing where you read one side and then you flip it over and the other side oh, yeah. you upside down on the other side. So yeah, yeah. So. Well, that, that's our quick start guides. Come on, yeah. <laughs> no, I, and uh, I noticed that there's a lot of great Jim Holloway art in here, mm-hmm. and it's nice. it's kind of like his stuff in the core book where he um, 
where they're the weird, you know, they're the pictures of things either going wrong for the characters mm-hmm. or they're, uh, or they're just kind of very funny, but, you know, and, and a really genuinely creepy full page tattered Damalian puppet show thing. Right. Um, uh, I, I love that is, name too. The tattered Damalian. <laughs> oh yeah. This might be the most module art he did that I can remember seeing because he's got like at least three pieces in here. I mean, anyway, it's uh, since he just passed, it was it was kind of a shock to see that because I don't think of him as doing a lot of module art, but uh, it's, it was great to it was great to be reminded of him. Yeah. So you know, obviously, the other besides the role play elements, Michael, the thing I'd say that's the the main other big uh, kind of distinguishing characteristic of this adventure is that it is, I don't know, can we say it's primarily a puzzle dungeon? <laughs> It, it is it is a lot of puzzles on that, which is again something that going into this is I wanted to I wanted to steer away from combat um, because you know because because I, I mean it was in, it's inevitable I mean if you if you're gonna play DCC people are, I, I knew that if you if you're gonna buy a DCC adventure there was going to be a percent there's there's a you know there's a perhaps the entire audience but you know they're, they're going to expect you know some fights. But uh, uh, going along with the fact that this is primarily a lot about of intrigue and this is a lot of interaction and, you know, uh, this is more thinking on your thinking on your feet and trying to, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want it this to be a like a, a an adventure that you resolve by rolling dice. I, I wanted this, uh, you know, so I wanted to drive that in as much as I possibly could. So uh, so that's why this is, you know, that's why it was basically a, you know, a puzzle, a puzzle adventure that and I knew technically since uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at this as like chaos is the bad guys and we're kind of forced to work for the bad guys in this. I know there were some people like, oh, well, you know, if they're lawful, like we can't kill them, you know, we uh, we should be able to negotiate with them. So I wanted to take that off like not every fight it was, you know orc baby you know that we didn't have like the orc baby discussion like oh can we kill these people or not <laughs> no, or anything yeah you know? oh what are the moral ramifications of this so um so that's why like most of the fights are like hey big giant monster hey we can fight that i think uh maybe we shouldn't uh but <laughs> but yeah but uh but yeah that was it was definitely part of the the design process to make this more of let's try to solve things without you know drawing a sword um because there were there, there certain for a certain uh, percentage of the gaming community, uh, there is nothing worse than a problem they can't solve by stabbing it. Uh, so yeah, right. <laughs> I was just going to ask, how did your playtests go when they found out they couldn't fight things to get rid of uh, them? Um, the the playtests went pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at if you if you look at the playtest credits, uh, at least for GaryCon, a lot of those names uh, will be familiar to you, so you can get an idea how the playtest went. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> oh, there, there are a couple of two or three sketches in there, as I recall. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. I believe we got all the we had, uh, we had Tim Snyder, who is very happy to this day. He like sacrificed his life to make sure that the, you know, the, the party could get away with the, with the, uh, with the, with the Yoko's egg at the end of it and everything. So, um, it was, it was, you know, it was good. Um, I guess I ran this at Kineticon. Um, I have absolutely no memories about that play test whatsoever. So I guess it went okay. Um, wow. you know, 
in this. I mean, this is 2013. I mean, it could it could also be that was seven years ago, and a lot has gone on. <laughs> There's a lot a lot going on between now and 2013. So you've written a just, few things since then. Just a few things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't I, I I didn't have to do a lot of a lot of changes to the adventure, so apparently it was working as intended. So um, you know, I, I think the only thing I did I think I tweaked the the encounter with the mirror images a little bit uh, because I think as that as that was originally written. That was a that was a little bit of uh, of um, yeah that, that could that, that could have been rough. Uh, how do you but, how do you how do you approach uh, composing a puzzle you know encounter type thing? I'm I'm, I'm curious about it. These are pretty good ones, and uh, something I'm you know I mean something I'm quote unquote interested in because yeah I'm not the greatest at it. So actually this is a, this is a good venue for it because these are pretty good and they're also. They're not just, uh, they're also cohesive, you know, they work together, they're not like freestanding, like suddenly you're in a room and there's four ropes hanging down and there's a multicolored ball at the end, you know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't feel like a tournament with all of the, the separate puzzle rooms. I mean, they are disconnected, but they're but they're thematically kind of cohesive, and and the disconnection makes sense, and because you're in the plane of law, and it's all crazy and magical, and da da da. So it doesn't seem like they're you know random at all. I, but I know, mean, I, I guess I guess it helped having like a theme. Like each room had a theme, so you know the the puzzle had to be based kind of on that. And I was trying to do, I so I was constructed, you know, constricted by that. Like okay, like what are kind of lawful themes, and you know. Um, so, so there is that, whether there is that kind of unifying thread, whether it's apparent or not. And, and you could tell it's not a tournament adventure because there were all, all the, all the puzzles were by one person. So it's, you don't have like, you know, six different designers coming up with six different, you know, puzzles. So yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes them seem, you know, uh, very strange. Um, again, but it was just really, um, I, I am, you know, puzzles i can do uh i am not like you know like don't give me like one of those don't give me like a math puzzle like don't give me you know and don't give me certain <laughs> don't give me certain logic puzzles like you know that whole thing to no terry day, olsen puzzles <laughs> right I guess, yeah if you want to get terry get terry olsen will do a math logic puzzle which will be amazing for me i'm like to this day the whole you know like one door always lies and one door always tells the truth i can still never figure that out you know, I mean, I've seen, I've literally had that explained to me and it's like trying to explain Bitcoin to me. It's like, I, I kind of understand how it works, but you know, don't ask me to explain it to you into, you know? Um, so, so, so that's going to be, in, that's going to be indicative in, in any puzzle I design. And, uh, and the other thing is, uh, I'm sure we're going to get to it is that, you know, I am very, if I can give, I, I didn't, I, because they're not going to be rolling dice, uh, I wanted to give the players something to do with their hands. So uh, I, one of the puzzles is very much just like, okay, this is not a puzzle that you were going to solve, you know, by, okay, can I make an intelligence check? This is, you know, this is, hey, make something. <laughs> this It's arts and craft time here, kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, God, it, you, is that the Play-Doh room? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so uh, for listeners, there's a, there's a room, the creation-themed room, where you find a big blob of clay and you, uh, you're challenged to basically in an ambiguous wording to seize upon the theme of the room and create a, uh, basically any kind of sculpture that you can reasonably fit into that theme. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but of course the adventure says, you know, the best way to do this judges is get some Play-Doh or clay and give it to your players and, you know, pop it down on the table and let them, uh, you know, do their thing, which I, I thought was uh, really tactile and fun. And it also reminded me of, uh, you know, in the in Steve Beans' World Quest uh, of the Winter Calendar, 
where he had an encounter where he you build a Jenga tower. You've actually got to build these crazy towers in the sky and while you're fighting these crazy people and stuff. But there's a whole mechanic where you're playing Jenga and trying to do this. <laughs> fun. Um, which is, I, I can't think Dread is of, the game that Jenga is the only uh, piece that you have. Oh, the only mechanic, have. right? Yep. Yeah, There's yeah. no dice or anything. Right. If you get a good uh, GM for it, it can be a lot of fun and really tense. Yeah. Um, so did you offer separate little bottles for the rainbow liquid puzzle too? I did not because I ran these at conventions. So, uh, so I was, you know, there was, I was, I was limited to, you know, like I didn't even really get to run the, you know, the, the clay thing because I I didn't really want to fly with blocks of kind of gray, uh, you know, gray clay like matter in my, uh, in my, you know, in my, my carry on. (laughs) I I thought Homeland security might get a little upset about that. So, you know, um, and I didn't really feel like being strip searched, uh, you know, and in the (laughs) (laughs) general Mitchell airport flying into for a game. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, but no, but I mean, everybody who's played it is just like, you know, I, I well, not obviously not everybody's played it, but I've heard a lot of positive feedback of that is, you know, that was just, everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm getting clay. And I, when I see people running it, it's like, oh yeah, I went, you know, sometimes they'll just, I'll, I'll see like a, a, somebody will post and there'll just be a picture of the module and like a, like a, like a tube of, of Play-Doh and I'm like, oh, get yep. ready to run, you know, into the course of chaos. Like, all right, excellent. So Yeah. No. Now, can you play the? Can you fit the whole thing in a four-hour session usually? Um, we did it. We did it in four hours at GaryCon. Uh, but the only way we did that is um, we had to basically instead of getting all the players and at the very start when they when they are, when they get offers, I, I had uh, envelopes prepared and I gave each one an envelope, uh, and so they had like you know they were able to open it up and say you know basically say this host comes and gives you this offer. You know, so we didn't have to, you know, take the break away and do it because I mean, there's only like what five puzzles or something like that. So yeah. you know, theoretically, if if you're on the ball, you can get through this, you know, in in, in four hours. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. So you gave them the choice, but they, but you gave them the setup in the envelope, and then they just said yes or no, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, at the end, they had to make the decision, you know. But uh, oh, but, but but every like but every but it, the uh, you know um, uh, meta gaming wise, it was the same because everybody around the table gets an envelope, and you open up your envelope and you read what's on that, so you automatically know what everybody else on the table they're also having this, so you know, okay, now can I trust anybody else at the table? So. Um, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a less, it's less socially, uh, engaging than being able to talk to everybody and, and role play one of the, you know, the host of chaos, but mechanically it, it accomplishes the same thing. So if you want to run it in a four hour session, you can do that and you know, still have everybody completely paranoid. Awesome. <laughs> no. Very good. The, uh, now I, I, I quite like the reflection thing in the, I think the, that kind of last Yokeless egg encounter where they, I think it's the room with the egg, and they go in and they find that the perfect reflections of themselves, which is a great Jim Holloway picture, is like the fighter, you know, pokes at the guy, the even bigger fighter <laughs> with bigger arms, and the, and and so on and so forth. So uh, that it's a it's a neat thing, and uh, anyway, it's especially good for this episode because, in fact. They're they're more powerful. They have more hit points and so on uh, than the uh, player characters. They're quite formidable. But as you point out um, in the text, Michael, yeah. the um, the players do have two advantages that the NPC players don't. The NPC characters don't have, mm-hmm. which is 
the NPCs can't spell luck and they cannot spell burn. Right. I took now those particular you, NPCs. Those right. particular NPCs. Well, I guess you can write whatever you want in your own damn book, Julian. <laughs> no, I I get it, but I mean, when I read that, you know, just yesterday, whatever yesterday, the day before, I was like, well, of course they can. I mean, you know, I didn't take that as you were saying these particular NPCs can't spell burn. I would, I, I took it as you know, you're just making sure that all, especially it's a new game at the time, right? Well, you're, well, you're making sure all judges understand that you know NPCs don't have luck scores and I, they I, don't I, spell burn. You know, it's just the way it works. Here's a timely reminder. No, I, I, I was putting I was putting in this in here just in this encounter because you know because I mean if I'm running this at home I might have them spell burning you know but in this counter for game balance we can't have that I, I remember originally now that I'm looking at this I originally um, all of the characters since they were the perfect representation they had an 18 in whatever was the appropriate stat for you know your character which I had to remove from this I believe I, I just had to I just gave them greater hit points and like a bonus like the plus one bonus to their stuff. Um, mm. so yeah, cause originally it was like, you know, like, like the, you know, if you might, you might, you might only have a 12 strength to be a fighter and now you're fighting your perfect representation who has plus three to all his attacks and damages, you know, whatever on you. So I, I had to rein that in a little bit. That was that, that For was like, that was one, the one big tweak. Yeah. Now that we're going back and that, that got, that got changed. So, um, so yeah, so it was all a matter of, it was all a matter of balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a pretty fun encounter. And I think, uh, there is definitely a pretty, I, I haven't run it and uh, I never got to play in it, but there's definitely a pretty kick-ass combat in there. Yeah, this um, is this is the one where Tim Snyder had to sacrifice himself. I think he like bum rushed. I think it was, I think it was like, I don't remember if he was playing like a halfling or, I don't remember, but I, I know he ended up like bum rushing at least himself, if not like his, his reflection and maybe another character like off a bridge off like the bridge into the, the bottomless pit in order to, you know, buy the character some time and, and take out some of the guys that were fighting. So, um, wow. yeah. in, fact, in fact, I think, I think, I think he had me sign his copy of it at the point where he died. So if I remember this correctly, <laughs> but yeah, so, nice. <laughs> so there are options. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Well, uh, have you ever thought of doing a, uh, like some sort of sequel? We, we obviously, uh, we've got the, the five uh, oh, the five members of the host are are patrons in the annual, which is cool because now if you did it and they, you know, they offer to make, to be your patron, you'd actually okay, here's the patron. So it would be so now there's a lot more support than there was when it was first published, which is pretty neat. Right. Um, but have you thought about uh, doing any kind of annual uh, sequel sequel? Sorry, uh, type adventure for this. Or, you know, even on the same type of theme or something like that? To be honest, uh, you know, it's funny. Is I've been in this I've been in this industry long enough that this is I, – I'm beginning to get those questions. And, uh, <laughs> you know, people people are asking, like, you know, like, wh- like when are we going to get, like, another – is there another Stonehill book or, you know, is, is there something else and everything? I am very much – personally, I do not like revisiting old stuff. Um, I don't like going back because, you know, that was because because if you do, you turn into George Lucas, you turn it, you start monkeying around the stuff which, you know, you've already done. And I, I'm always I want to see what's next. Um, so I really don't have any interest in going back. I've done this. I've written this adventure. I don't want to ri- I don't want to write the law version of it. Um, let somebody else do that if they want to do that. I, you know, I instead of instead of wondering what law we will do, I'll run a, 
a, a 30 session campaign which explores alignment in in his role in DCC, you know, um, because that's something that hasn't been done yet. So so no, I don't really have much of an interest to go back and write a sequel to this or anything. Um, you know, I, I never say never. If I had like an amazing idea at some point that was just like, oh, this would be the perfect thing and allows me to do something that I've never done before and it would be awesome to do, you know, I, I might be tempted to. But, you know, just to, to do it, to do a sequel, no. We won't get a sequel, but we do have a little tiny bit of a prequel. Jeez. Uh, so this came out in 2014. I think it was uh, late 14. Goodman did a little promo with these uh, bonus adventure cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did it for this one. And, and then number 81 and 82, One Who Watches From Below and The Bride of the Black Mance. And they're, the one for entry at the Court of Chaos is Glimpsed by Chaos. And it's a little adventure that you can run prior to this particular mod if you're running a campaign. And it gives you a little bit of a foreshadowing. And yeah. They, John, what the, what the heck are you talking about? With pre-orders... Of any of these three modules, they sent along little postcard-sized. Uh, wow, I've never tidbits. seen or yeah. heard of such things. I, and I had I had completely forgotten about that. So uh, uh, the one who watches from below came with an extra like large monster write-up, and Bride of the Black Mance. There's an artifact. I think you actually mm. get the stats for the hand. Right. I, I remember doing them. I remember doing them now that you mention it. But, you know, again, it's at this point I've I've written so much stuff over the last 12 years that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't remember everything anymore. So, wow. well, and this is an encounter. It's not even a module. But, yeah, it wow. can occur anytime the party discovers a stone object, you know, pillar, plinth, ruined wall, etc. And they see these things carved in it and. So is it, uh, yeah, it, it's just like a it's just like a kind of a greeting card size type deal. With uh, it has a, yeah, a postcard, postcard size. Yeah, yeah. It's like two sides, two sided postcard. Wow, a little glossy covered one. This so is going to be driving collectors nuts for exactly. decades. It'll just it'll be the uh, <laughs> it'll be the scavenger hunt for the ages. Oh man, that's <laughs> crazy. Uh, well, that's uh, yeah, that's nuts. I didn't even know that existed. Well, thanks, uh, Jen. That was pretty cool. I I am. I I do apologize for cutting you off earlier. Uh, You wanted to mention the uh, second printing has the new adventure by Steve Bean. Uh, It's in the uh, the second printing, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, which which has the Russ the Russ um, cover, and yeah, it is completely bonkers. So it's called War Pit of the Chaos Wizard. I had no idea that there was a second adventure in the in the second printing. And so I was you know, just going along and then it was like, oh, author's Michael Curtis. So I said, oh, maybe Mike did a weird little, you know, extra couple encounters or f- tiny follow-up thing or something like that. And <laughs> I got to my, my pal Steve's War Pit of the Chaos Wizards, which the first thing that happened, the very first thing that happens in this is your characters are turned into undead, but undead with insect powers. And you roll <laughs> to find out what kind of undead insect person you are. And then you wow. go, then you are put in an arena and you go into grad- gladiatorial combats against 
like freaking bizarre, you know, death pigs and protoplasms and, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so anyway, if you, it could be an interesting follow up to intrigue. Well, you it could kind of be. You could almost see one of the the hosts of chaos. You could uh, drop that in place of the person who is sort of the patron of the PCs in this, and then have them go straight into the glider. You could easily reskin a little bit of it and use it for one of the hosts of chaos, and it would be cosmic, weird, gladiatorial stuff. Uh, really nuts, <laughs> and I, I think super imaginative. And then there's hazards and weird. Uh, terrain in the in the pit that you have to deal with even while you're having this these tactical fights against the other teams and um so anyway i just uh if that i mean it's nuts so you know if you like some weird stuff i i think uh i think this one got really crazy and imaginative and uh, i would encourage people to check it out uh just for the fun of it and i should maybe run it you know I, I should bring up because I have the I have the the second printing of it, and on page twenty, the all that information which was on the postcard that Jen just talked about is reproduced in the adventure. Okay. So if you but, if you didn't get the postcard there, it is in the reprint. Oh. All the information there. So okay, good. So there is yeah. some additional in, uh, data and text in there. That's good. Yeah, That's I, good. I've like I said, I've forgotten about that. So yeah, so so yeah, so there is there is a there is a postcard size additional information in the second printing in addition to in addition to the entire b-side adventure that steve wrote so yeah (laughs) well if if jeff if judge jeff were here there you have it judge jeff here's your here's your answer uh npcs cannot spell burn it says here right here in uh, encounter 2a of uh intrigue at the court of chaos so i i I don't I, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to alarm anybody here. But uh, Jeff has just been drawn away from the rest of the party for a short period, and now he's been reintroduced. <laughs> perhaps he's been talking to one of the hosts of Chaos. Perhaps. perhaps oh, there he's is no doubt. Hey, the rest of the judge before the show is over. That's it. <laughs> we have no doubt about this, Mike. <laughs> Well, yes, I have I have brought one of the uh, one of the um, ambassadors. Chaos, yes, one of the ambassadors of chaos with me. Hello, Hugh. <laughs> I've got little Hugh with me. Mm. Wow! And a great yeah. human cry went up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, hey, Michael. Thanks so much for being with us. It is. Is this number five or number six? Appearance number. Shoot! I thought you counted them, Jeff. Where are we? I did. So if Jeff were here, he'd tell us Jeff is right here. So Michael Curtis um, has this has been previously on five episodes. If we do not count the lost episode. Okay. But Michael Curtis has not been on an episode since episode 50. So all of his previous appearances were in the first 50 episodes. He did not make any appearances in the next 50 episodes. That's on you, not me. Yeah, it's it's not like my agent was not returning you guys' calls or anything. You know, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a busy fifty. I know yeah. it's like the new hotness came along, and you know, you know, you said, forget about it's me. True. You know, it's all right. I, that's but the good news is, you're going to be on the next fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, so. Not consecutively, though. Come on. Yeah, because because I'm sure you're going to want to talk to me once you know Dying Earth hits the. You know, I'm sure. Yeah, you want to get want to get a Lankmar guy to talk about Dying Earth. Yeah, no, I I know. I'm you know I I am I'm I'm 
I'm now the 40 year old Hollywood actress. I'm just not getting the roles I used to anymore. You know, I, just, <laughs> I, I will come back as the mom, you know, and I have, have a stunning career role, you know, unless I turn into, you know, Helen Mirren or something. So no, that's all right. I, I know how the business works. You know, <laughs> actually, uh, in the meantime, uh, Mike, would you like to do a little self promo? Do I want to do a little self promo? Promo? Um, you have you have a new page. Oh, oh, you. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I do have a Patreon, uh, which is, which is basically if you if uh, if everything we talked about the war crawl th- uh, sounded very interesting, uh, I have been not only posting uh, all of the recorded game sessions from the campaign, uh, so you can actually watch it unfold in real time, but also all the material that was kind of generated uh, it during the course of the campaign is slowly being dribbled out. So it's the next best thing to then uh, than playing in it. So um, I don't have a direct link, but if you go to Patreon and search for Michael Curtis, I'm sure I will come up. So you'll see my smiling face, and uh, you know, so uh, th- throw me a couple of bucks and uh, and you know, buy yourself some fun. And and I appreciate I appreciate all my Patreons who back me. Thank you very much. One of whom I'm looking at right now. So, <laughs> so. I'm not just a shill. And just before the show, Jen uh, volunteered to run an actual play war crawl thing for us. Uh, oh, so I we did. really appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Really we, we'll look into that. that in like 2021 or something. That'll be our next 32 episodes. Oh, good yes. Lord. I hate you all. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, I think we're going to wrap no, no. up. This is uh, this has been fun, Michael. We're, we're long overdue to have you back. Uh, I appreciate you that very much um we'll do a quick roundup of our uh convention scene coming up here uh we've got con on the cob uh october 1st through 4th uh albacon october 3rd and 4th uh, which is a charity thing out of scotland but they do have u.s friendly some time slots as well uh we've got uh, the autumn revel october 9th through 12th presented by gary con of course, we have Bride of Cyclops Con, October 16th to 18th, presented by Goodman Games. I think we're all going to be there. We may even have a pretty interesting Spellburn event uh, just before that. And Gamehole Con, November 5th through 8th. I'll definitely be running a few games over there. And November 13th to 15th, The Long Con, uh, which I don't know anything about. Do you, is, Jen, do you know about that? I thought that was one that you were actually uh, part of. It's, it's, it's a long con. It is a long yeah. con. Somebody wow. snuck this in there. Okay, well, we're posting. I got a link in the in the show yeah. notes so somebody can go learn about it. You're pre, you're and, pre, pre-register to buy a badge for the long con that nobody knows anything about. I'm sure that'll work out fine. Well, if, if Jeff were here, he could tell us. And then last, we've got Guys, the, guys, I'm right here. And, and then the RPG Alliance con, uh, last one, uh, November 21st to 22nd. And I'm sure we'll have more over a cold in or virtual winter, um, but that should keep you gaming for quite a few weeks there through uh, October and November. So, uh, so last, uh, just make sure to email us at the band at spellburden.com. Thank you to Judge Michael for being here with us again. Thank, Thank you to. Me. Oh yeah, you're welcome uh, anytime. Thank you to Judge Jeff for being a good sport, even though he didn't think he was going to make it tonight, but uh, was able to make it. So we appreciate it. For some of it, at least. Yeah, well, we sort of appreciate you for some of it. Um, (laughs) And uh, other than that, just game on, guys. Have fun. Leave us some iTunes reviews. 
uh, and stay safe. You've been listening to Spellburn, copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.